out now on Press Gang Records, Buffalo, New York's Wrong the Oppressor Cassette. Ellis Horse, The Project from the Minds of Rob Antonucci, and Ryan Hex Cannabis, available on all streaming platforms. War self-titled 7-inch, available in black and coke bottle clear. Pick these up at PressGangRecordsUS.LimitedRun.com Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. On this episode, we're going to be talking to Max, Max Quattro Chucky. Uh, as always, you can find the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. We'll be posting them early to Patreon, as always, now. So, everybody, thanks for supporting that. Uh, the link's in the bio, uh, as well as there's a GoFundMe because we're trying to get some better uh, video equipment to do some more like live in person stuff, as well as some other cool stuff with live uh, video equipment. Uh, there's a bunch of cool shows coming up in the area. Uh, uh, my guest plays drums for a band that is playing a show with like 75 other bands at the bug jar that I saw just got announced tonight. So I'm sure we'll be uh, talking about that during our discussion. Uh, but yeah, I guess without further ado, uh, I've only said his name a couple times before, so I'm going to try one more time. Uh, we're bringing on uh, Max Quattro Chaki. Uh, how'd I do on that? Nailed it. Really good. Yeah. I've never said your last name before, and it seems more complex. I'm sure you probably get that all the time. So no, that's all right. Yeah, a lot of people butcher it. I'm just I'm used to it at this point. But I guess I guess yeah. Like we'll be talking about a bunch of bands and stuff on this episode with you, and and you have some other unique uh, stories because like through your involvement with Achilles and stuff like that. Sure. But I think I think before we talk about that, let's kind of talk about like your upbringing, just kind of how you got like involved with like music and stuff like that. I always grew up, you know musical household my dad was in the music had a bunch of records and shit like i think i put my first record on when i was in like first grade it was one of his boston lps staying home sick from school or something you know and uh so i always grew up with music in the house both of my parents listened to a lot of music my dad was total classic rockhead and just you know listened to a bunch of yes and got me into the Beatles at a super early age and even like harder music. He was, he owned like a tool and die shop. So he was around kind of like just a bunch of guys that were into like grunge and it just happened to be like the good, the good time to be working in like a blue collar job. And I just remember growing up and him having like this cassette tape. It had like in utero on one side and never mind on the other that one of his, you know, employees made for him, and I just, like, listened to the shit out of that, and he bought me Dookie on cassette when I was, like, you know, five or whatever, whatever the math ends up being for that, seven, maybe, just really young, but I think a lot of people had that record at a super young age, just with how popular it was, um, but yeah, I, I played drums, you kind of mentioned that, uh, in your question, just like my uh, uncle, he was just my aunt's boyfriend at the time, but 
he was in bands like cover bands and whatnot and would play out in the bar scene so I would always play their drums when I went over his house and he like helped facilitate my first drum set when I was like three so I always had this like you know kind of crappy small kit sitting around the house that I would play but as I got older he helped my mom like find my first like actual drum set at the end of elementary school like beginning of middle school and you know just just started playing so drums have always kind of been in my life as as well as music so it's been you know it's always been around always been a thing so with you with you learning how to play at such a young age did you ever play in like any like school bands or any like more like organized type things or anything like that before you like started playing like like the bands we'll talk about obviously yeah i was like i i learned music starting in fourth grade i think was the earliest we could do you know whatever i think trombone was actually the first instrument that i tried even though i'd been playing drums for a while before fourth grade and uh I ended up on drums probably just because that's what happened. But I can, I've never been able to read music. I, I like painfully made it all the way through high school doing like all the school bands and whatnot. And, and, uh, my mom kind of knew how to read music. So she would, she would help me with all the like notations and everything. And, uh, I just memorize everything. So it was kind of, I don't know kind of tricky getting through school and trying to make it like in the better bands and stuff like that um but yeah i don't know that doesn't really help me be a better musician but it's just punk and hardcore music so whatever (laughs) i guess like before before you found punk and hardcore though did you ever have aspirations to join like uh like more of like a you know pro type band or whatever or uh i mean you always kind of you always kind of hope that you do a little better than you're doing. That's always been the dream. I mean, when I was younger, seeing Green Day, Nirvana, all those bands playing that kind of music and just being huge, you know. I had posters on my wall. I I grew up, like, just digging that and, you know, later seeing my first big concerts and just seeing that energy and whatnot. That's, That's definitely, you know... Definitely always been a dream, but up until probably recently, even, you know, you just get to a point where you're like, all right, we're settling down now. We're, we're career mode, dad mode, you know, that guy. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Everybody's kind of at that age now where everybody kind of has kids and you kind of have to slow down with everything and just kind of lead the more uh, dad life as you and I were kind of talking about before I, I hit record, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, you like being, I don't know, there's something to be said about being at home and being comfortable and having a house and you kind of know know what's going on in life. So I guess uh, the whole chicken versus the egg I've been asking people lately, which came first? Like, did you kind of find the scene first or did you start playing in bands or both kind of around the same time? Or So it was, it was kind of funny that Chalinor and I had like similar trajectory, which I think a lot of people that grew up in that in the 90s early 2000s kind of had you grew up listening to so much new metal and whatever was on the radio and it just super big Limp Bizkit fan super big corn fan I just so much of that stuff I can't I just can't even listen to anymore and understand what what was going on I watched that Woodstock documentary and you know you're watching the Limp Bizkit thing and you're like of course my parents didn't want me to listen to that you know, just like this is, this seems like it's a terrible influence on, you know, growing minds and whatnot. Um, I mean, my, like, I was always into kind of, I think a lot of people had the influence of Green Day, Nirvana, you know, kind of what I've already said. Um, but growing up with people in Greece, it was a lot of that, like, it was super rap metally or even more like hip hoppy than. I've always been jealous of the East Side, East Side, like, so much punk and hardcore and even, like, the more hippie movements, like, the stuff, kind of DIY, whatever, we didn't, we didn't really have that, we, it was a lot of pop punk, I guess, but there wasn't too much of a DIY scene, so, um, I don't know, that kind of, that kind of came later in life, I was, I was a late bloomer as far as that scene's 
concerned, but we live right on the border of the city in Greece now, so it's kind of interesting that you would uh, say that, and it just makes me smile thinking of uh, people like that back then. And, and the whole uh, questionable music choices things makes me really concerned as a parent. Obviously, <laughs> what our kids are going to be listening to in like ten years or so, you know. But um, I guess before we jump into to your bands and stuff, wow, with the whole Limp Bizkit thing, did you were you paying attention to all of them kind of having like a revival in the last uh, year or so? I was, yeah. Like Fred Durst kind of had that like different persona thing going on, or just the costume or whatever. I didn't really dig too far into it, but I know they were getting like crazy headlines and whatnot with what they were doing. Like good for them. I know like especially European markets and stuff like that, like, I know all that stuff is still super big. And they still sell records and sell out concerts and just, like, people go nuts for it. And uh, even in the States, like, in the Midwest, there's just these festivals with bands that are just crushing that are, like, you haven't listened to them since in 25 years, and you just, it's just so far out of my, like, out of my interest at this point, but good for them you know i can't i can't hate on people for being successful and whatnot yeah it's crazy if they had that revival and, and they took out like scowl and a bunch of other like smaller bands on on that one yeah tour. that was so crazy that was uh crazy to see. but awesome you know they came up in i think they were southern california or no florida band right lumpiska was but i think they probably had the same like you know skateboarding influences and punk background suicidal tendencies and whatnot so were you already kind of coming to like local shows and stuff by the time you guys started bema or, or a lot of penny arcade which is kind of crazy because i feel like you did a lot of show like all these flyers you're posting even the one you posted like a little earlier i'm just like where was i like i was hanging out i was looking at the free time magazine ads like but like i said it was just like i was still very new metal-y like hanging on to that scene and a lot of the there were a, a few bands that came up from like Chilai and Greece and um my sister you know had a friend group that they were kind of involved with that scene too but that scene was also kind of going around like Incubus was kind of big and they had like some some harder influences and Deftones were super big with that like group of people and they kind of teetered on the hardcore or like you know punk attitude as far as the kind of rap metal or whatever you want to call it scene so i was going to a lot of penny shows but as far as like diy spaces vfws and stuff like that that came a little later but um there's like there's two two generations of bema that kind of existed there was like the rap metal side of bema and then we got into like mosh metalcore bema on the second half so that's kind of more when we started playing floor shows and uh played at extremes once with achilles before i was like really buds with those guys and stuff like that i was gonna say the second era of bema is definitely what i'm more familiar with but with the uh with the new metal shows, did you ever see that band Inherence at all, or was that a little bit earlier? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Inherence, like Dave Without Rain was a big one. Like we were huge into those guys. Jim was a good friend early on, and like even still, when I see him, I love that dude. I would, you know, can't wait to see him again. It's been a minute, but um, there was this, there was this like, there was this group of smaller bands. There was like this band Seric. I think they were from. Chilai or kind of further out west and another band of Braxis and the bigger bands at that time were like Lupus and Merlot was a Olympia band and Blind Identity which had Chalinor's uh, brother in it that he was kind of talking about on your show which was kind of funny like I kind of knew that whole story of him and he's right we like were total ships passing in the same friend group like his his best friends in life are like part of my really good friends now but there was just this middle middle time where we did not we just missed each other and it's kind of the like metaphor of my life with hardcore it just all kind of like 
there's before I started and then after and uh his bro I knew that whole story of him, you know, the family getting kicked out or whatever from his older brother who we called Aussie and he was really good friends with my sister at the time and like I knew it from a totally different angle and then I met all these guys that were super affected by it on Matt's side. So So I guess with kind of uh kind of comparing like how you said you and Matt were kinda of like kind of crossing in the night so to speak or whatever uh did with bemo was it like a, a band member uh any switching or did was did you guys all just kind of decide you wanted to uh, switch the music a little bit yeah so the the first kind of form of it was high school band us being shitty at our instruments just ripping off whatever radio rock and doing it super poorly and you know having crappy part-time jobs to spend little money on instruments and whatnot. And you just hung out with your friend group and we would skateboard and then go back to my mom's house and play instruments and just kind of mimic what we were hearing. So we were still kind of into like the rap metal stuff. Um, but you just try and do what you can and, you know, start start playing like people's birthday parties and basements and just doing weird like small shows i don't know so uh i guess another kind of bridging the gap band that would like runoff would have been a band you guys would have been playing with a lot too or runoff came for like the second half we did and yeah we did a lot of shows together with them at that point just because it was similar styles of music and we were kind of getting on the same bills and you know maybe being support for bigger bands that were coming through town. And uh, I guess the big part was we had a singer switch. So the whole thing with the, the first, the first BMO was there was, um, there was kind of like this grease beef with like other local bands. Their uh, garage door rodeo was their name and they ended up being farewell in Juria. So like Tommy from how we are was in it and Nick Fisk and, just some other like grease people and uh they had a message board on their website and there was just like i i think the beef came from like some skateboarding feud or something back in the day but we just got ripped apart one time because we announced a show at the california brew house and some guy was just like it's hoss man how are you gonna call it house and like everyone was making fun of us but we got to this point where we ended up being like we befriended that group of people and we all kind of like started being at the same shows together and we started hanging out outside of shows and it started becoming a thing. And Nick from uh farewell and Jerry, uh, graduate rodeo's dad used to promote shows and he would do these, uh, revive the rock kind of day fest things. The first one, um, was at water street and it was huge. It was like a bunch of local bands just, screamo you know pop punk whatever at that time i couldn't name them all but you know five star riot and thatcher probably played and just a a bunch of like as a high school kid you're looking up to and uh for the second one is it was at penny arcade and it was a day-long fest and bima got asked to play and we were like we're finally cracking into this like local scene which was kind of more diy like they played bigger shows uh, just had like just a different feel to the scene. And um, my, our, our singer at the time, Matt, total sweetheart guy, but like he still felt that like rage from whatever beef we had before. <laughs> so he like pulled the, pulled the singer move and was like, nah, I'm not fucking playing. And we're like, what do you mean you're not playing? Like we just like got tight with these people. We're like, cool, it's cool, we're good. And he just, like, wouldn't go on stage, wouldn't do it. And that was, uh, you know, probably some other things happened down the line from there. But we uh, we parted ways with him, and then we were like, well, we're kind of in this, like, new, new like, chug breakdown kind of style of music. So we're just going to, like, totally flip the switch here and do this other thing. Just do breakdowns and watch people mosh and stuff like that. That's what it was all about. <laughs> Was that, like, was that like MySpace Mosh era pretty much? Oh, yeah. Or? Yeah. Bangs, girl jeans, double bass pedal on my drum, like, China symbol. 
you know, you know the type. I don't even know what the show was, but I saw an ad for some revival like band, like bands that were around like fifteen or twenty years ago, and it was like mosh, like your top eight depends on it. Oh, that's that's totally it. I mean, yeah. we were um, we. I was just talking about this the other day, but some some girl was a photographer and she would take pictures at like every show, and I remember she like had pictures of people moshing, and people just ripped her apart on a message board for doing that. And, uh, I never understood that. Like that's the crowd response is, you know, Hey, five, six does the same thing. Now it's huge. It's just like, you want to see that energy. You want to see that reaction. And, uh, I don't know. I, but I, I definitely think that was a thing. People were like working out and, and, uh, warming up for their, their moshing, you know, <laughs> Well, that's the era when, like, every band started coming out with, like, two pairs of mosh shorts, too, you know? And now it's, like, a common thing. Oh, yeah. Flat brims, popped collars. Yeah. Mosh uh, shorts, for sure. But one thing you've mentioned a couple times that was definitely prevalent in that era that I feel like it's been talked about a little bit on the podcast here and there was uh, the whole message board beef was was huge back then, you know? And it's I, I often wonder... I mean, I guess social media is a new message board, and there's that's like how like so many modern beefs have started, I guess. But sure. I often wonder how things would have been different if we didn't have all this like instant stuff at our hands, you know, for the last twenty some odd years or whatever. Dude, I don't know. I kind of I'm I don't know. We we all have different distractions now. I I remember just sitting in like my college lecture hall on the Rochester Hardcore Board, one of the many from back in the day, and just like perusing, you know. I remember, like Wolves, at one point, like announced uh, what we were going to name an album, and someone was like ripping us apart for what we were going to call it. I don't remember what the name of it was, but it's like shit. We, you know, got to take that stuff seriously. Someone's affected by it, you know. <laughs> what? So speaking of like Wolves, well, well, I guess before we jump into that, did did you do any touring or out of town like type stuff with Bima at all? Or it was. And I'm super sad about this, and we've actually talked about this in recent years, is there's, like, not a lot of recorded uh, evidence of Bima. And uh, we played once with Renoff at All Things Art, which was that bigger venue in Canandaigua. And that was before my senior year of high school, and I think that was, like, the only thing we did. We had had plans to do some stuff, and it just never panned out, you know, whatever, over summer vacation. And, uh, yeah, it was mostly just local shows and then the one the one Canandaigua show. And then uh, did, did, did it kind of, like, did, did Like Wolves come soon after Bima then, or? Uh, it was a couple years after. There, were, there was a few years where I wasn't really playing drums much, and I was really just, like, I, w- I was doing a lot with uh, Achilles on weekends and stuff like that. They were they were much more active at that point. And um, it wasn't quite when Hospice was coming out, but right before and during the Dark Horse, that was like, they would do, it might not have been a weekend a month, but they were definitely active. And I was I was focused on that a lot. So did you start roading for them right away pretty much or? Uh, I was, BMO was still a thing when that happened. I was in high school and uh, we shared a practice space at Cosmic Jams with How We Are was on one side and um, Thieves Auction. I don't know if that was the last name they had or the, the first name they had, but um, it was Nick Lemesis's band and... Uh, we kind of shared a corner of the room. So I kind of knew Rory and Tommy was a good buddy of mine from Greece, Tommy Ballmer, and he was in how we are. So Bima would finish practicing and I would kind of sit there and watch how we are. So I kind of got to know Rory that way. And, uh, I had met Rob at a nobody cares show cause he was flyering for an Achilles show and we had gotten chatting and, I kind of met him that way. And I think Josh Dolan and I just happened to be at like high school parties together. And 
I just went out on a limb one time and asked if I could ride along to a Geneseo show that Achilles was playing because Chris Brown from Achilles was uh, a student there. So they were doing a show in the student union or some cafe down there. So I just kind of like shot my shot and was like, yeah, if you guys need someone to ride with you, I'll, you know, I'll come do whatever you need to do. And I rode and they kind of jokingly were like, you got the gig, you know, at the end of the night, like you're doing a great job. And then the rest was kind of history. I just, I just kept tagging along and they would go on weekends and I would go with them. And that kind of lasted through, you know, senior year of high school. I, one of the big ones I did was the, they did a Rochester, Syracuse, dark horse and marathon did their CD release at the same time or, uh, yeah, CD release, and that was over Memorial Day weekend of my senior year, so 2005. So I rode out with them with that, and uh, I met all those marathon guys, and probably met Hex at that show too, and the Another Breath guys, and there was a big picnic after the show because it was a matinee at uh, Westcott. So I got to hang out and just meet a meet a whole bunch of new people, and I was I still wasn't fully like into the the DIY scene yet. So I was learning how that kind of went, you know, things aren't mic'd up. Merch tables are, everyone plays on the floor, merch tables in the back of the room, that kind of thing. So super, super eye opening. Just there's more to club, club scene, mic'd up instruments and, and whatnot. I really miss those matinees though, especially having kids like the, you know, shout out to the bug jar for doing all these, these dope shows, but it's, it's pretty late sometimes, you know, so bug jar time. Yeah, yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, did you go with them to Europe and stuff like that or? Yeah, that was in summer of 2006. It was right after my senior year. And, uh, I think I kind of like bullied them into taking me, not bullied them, but I was just like super annoying about it and would keep bringing it up. And I think they, when they first brought it up, it was kind of hypothetical, like, maybe we could do this, but then, um, it ended up happening and it was awesome. And I was still super young at that time. I was only 17 or 18 and you kind of lived the like 17, 18 year old American in Europe for the first time. And that was a really eye opening experience too. Probably the first time I had been away from my family and, um, all these crazy countries I had never been to traveling in a van for a couple of weeks. And at the time it was one of the hotter summers on record. So I just remember there were just awful sleeping situations and the, the sprinter van we were traveling in had the whole back completely blocked off where the equipment went. So there was no airflow in the van. And the way the routing kind of went, it was just like seven, eight hour drives every day of just like unbearable heat. We were all stripped down, just, you know, sliding door open while we're driving on these European highways and whatnot. Just, just crazy. But I was super fortunate. I, I tell those guys to this day, I'm super fortunate that they took me along on that ride. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been... 15 years, 16 years since we went, which is just wild to think about because those are still really deep memories I have. I mean, Nooch pretty much refers to you as an additional member to the band. Like, was that something that happened pretty quickly? Like the bond and stuff like that? It sounds like it. Those guys are a family, and uh, it's kind of wild to be around. Like, and we're in a group chat, and sometimes if you're busy, you'll go back to the group chat, and there's... 150 messages you've missed and it's been like two hours and um when those guys get together and you know chris is in la right now josh is up in portland everyone's got their stuff going on but uh the next time you know we all get together it's it's gonna be awesome and phil from coming down and like wolves is they brought him on to play second guitar at that last show that they did and he's become you know a fellow, uh, a fellow, a Bills fan with those guys and just music, you know, they, they all have a lot in common. And I can I kind of feel bad for Phil sometimes because there's 
so many inside jokes with those four or me included five and sometimes it's just like like anyone on the outside just doesn't have a chance because it's just like those jokes run so deep and they're just a lot of deep cut Achilles jokes but I I do feel bad because those guys have always tried to get me to be more you know more involved one time in Europe, like Rory's voice was shot, just people smoking in bars and whatnot, and just just got really like couldn't sing, and uh, they kind of threw me up on stage with the mic, and they're like, "You gotta, you gotta do it." And I've always been terrible with lyrics, just like not not a good not a good words guy, and uh, I butchered it. And after the one song, I think it was Rushmore off Dark Horse, and they just were like, "We we're done. We can't. We we." can't do it but even like stage drumming and whatnot there was a thing a couple of years ago they wanted me to do some do some stuff during one of their shows and i'm i'm kind of shy even for like someone who plays on stage every once in a while i i have a hard time being being in front of people and doing stuff yeah i can relate to that i thought about like the fact that i've kind of teased and decided and like wanted to do like live stuff with this podcast and i'm like Sometimes I think about it, I'm like, yo, I'd have to, like, hold a microphone in front of, like, people, like, live <laughs> and in person and, like, host, basically, like, and yeah. that's, that's the exact opposite of what I want to do, but I don't I know. know. At the same time, it comes with uh, doing all this shit or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but what about, uh, you You mentioned Polar Bear Club, too. Were you, were you doing, like, roaring with them around this time, too, or did that come a little bit later? Yeah, that was kind of, like, right at the same time, so... I I got to ride with them on some of those early, early weekends. It was like Kevin was still in the band. And I think Kevin and I had been friends for a couple of years at that point because that's, that's why I kind of went to that Nobody Cares. or I don't even know if they were Roses or Red in uh, 2004 would have been when I would have met Nooch at that, um, that show at Club Side of Water Street. But... Yeah, it was kind of like I had already been doing stuff with Achilles and um, Chris kind of had me come along on those weekends and super early stuff, like demo was out only. And uh, we would do weekends to Boston and stuff and I would go on them to a couple of those. And then a couple of years later, I just happened to be at a Westcott show and I just hopped in the van with them, and they were doing a weekend down to New York City. And that, that was kind of wild to see, too, because I had been with them on those early weekends when no one really knew what was going on. They had a little bit of hype, but it wasn't super strong. And then that, that first New York City show was right before they signed to Bridge Nine, or kind of right when they decided to take it more seriously. So it was at an actual venue, like a club. I just talked to Chris the other day, and we couldn't figure out which venue it was. But um, just seeing them, like, get an actual reaction and play in front of a good-sized crowd of people and people knew their songs, it was was just kind of cool to see. So I didn't do any of the, like, the bigger, longer tours and whatnot, but it was just some of that, like, weekend warrior and a roadie hangout guy kind of thing. Yeah, shout out to Chris Brown. I'm going to get him on here at some point and jack his memory <laughs> on some of this stuff, too. So, yeah, we've been uh, chatting about it. He knows it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people from this era, especially, that I still have left uh, to to get on here to talk about all this stuff with. Um, so then I'm guessing Like Wolves kind of came about during all this then, right? And like the possibly even like a, uh, a bond that was kind of formed through doing all, a lot of these uh, touring and stuff or not, you know? It was all Rory, actually. Like, I didn't know... I knew there was... I remember Tommy telling me there was this, like, group of punk kids in Rochester that really dug how we are. And I was like, I I wasn't really into that scene at all. I just wasn't familiar with it. So, um, after I had been doing a couple years just kind of roading with Achilles and Polar Bear Club and whatnot... Rory reached out and said there was this group of guys that was looking for a drummer, and it was um, Ben, Adam, John from Destructs, 
and Phil, who had, uh, he was in Finisher, which was this like crazy high school metal band. And then he was doing Whom They Destroy. I hope I got that name right. I couldn't really remember. But it was kind of post-Destrucks and Finisher era. And those guys all kind of grew up together too. So they were starting a band. And Rory reached out to me and was just like, yo, I know these guys. I think you would be, you know, a good fit. So that was in like 2007. And uh, they had all, except for Ben Kruger, just graduated high school. So we all got together shortly after, you know, they graduated and got together and started writing songs. But we didn't have a singer. So Ben wasn't really in the picture yet. And we had tried out a couple. We tried out Adam Clark, who was the second metalcore singer for Bima. I don't know if you know Adam at all. He's kind of, he's good friends with like Anthony Hayward and um, kind of that group of people. He lives in San Francisco now, but he kind of tried out and another friend, Eric Parkinson, um, tried out. And then we ended up um, going with Ben. Which at that point I was like, I'm totally outnumbered in this band. All these guys like grew up together. They've been playing in bands together, punk metal bands, and I'm like the metalcore kid that wears bandanas and is still thinking about like metalcore and mosh. So, yeah. Speaking about inside jokes, you must have felt like uh, Chris Farley in that <laughs> SNL where he's the, the the playing the Chinese game show or whatever. You yeah. know, like just you know. It was, um, uh, but did you guys click pretty quickly to go or? Yeah, I think we, I think we clicked. Um, you know, we're all still friends, so I think something went right. But it was a lot of, it was just like beginner kind of fumbling around. I had this idea of what I wanted to do, and they had this idea of what they wanted to do. So we had to meet somewhere in the middle. But around that time, I was kind of getting into like, bands that kind of met that middle threshold of being kind of moshy, breakdowny, but they also had like a punk attitude, you know, kind of like Cursed. Cursed was one that we kind of bonded over. Um, trying to think if there was anything, anything else that we got along. And there were a bunch that we met in the middle, but um, we ended up making it work and we went to, we recorded our demo that first December in Buffalo, and uh, it was great. It was awesome. We shortly, shortly after that, we did our first weekend that that next January. So it, it kind of moved quickly, but that's that's kind of how it goes. And we were all in college or doing like similar stuff, so we could get away at different times of the year. So were you was was all this kind of uh, overlapping with like rooting for Achilles and everything too? Obviously, so you'd be kind of on the like doing weekends uh, quite a bit. It sounds like here and there. Um, not so much. That last, like right before I joined Achilles, was when they recorded, or right before I joined Like Wolves was when they recorded uh, Hospice. So that fall, fall two thousand six, after they came home from Europe, and I kind of wrote about this in the Achilles book. They um, they played a lot of those songs in Europe in that fall when after they got home, and they were kind of like fine tuning it. No one knew really what was going to happen, but they ended up going and recording that in January of two thousand seven, and uh, it's almost like immediately as soon as that record came out was when they stopped being as busy and doing as much stuff. You know, I think right around that time. Uh, Rory was moving away to Providence and Chris was going to law school in Boston and Rob had gotten married and was teaching and, you know, everyone just, everyone just had their like level of busyness where it just, just kind of happens that way. Um, But it is kind of funny because Achilles and like wolves and coming down, like we've all kind of been in the same rooms and playing the same shows. And I remember that first weekend that like wolves did with Achilles and I was like torn on where to be because I had this like 
I'm used to being behind the merch table and like helping Achilles load in, load out and, and whatnot. But I have this like new group of guys that I'm, I'm now with them when we're playing out of town. So I remember just like, I was a little torn there. I remember being funny about that, but it's cool. Um, did you guys end up playing a lot of shows together? Or? Uh, I just, I don't remember. I, I'm pretty sure Like Wolves played some Achilles shows, but like I said, it was just different, different times, you know? Polar Bear Club had Like Wolves play a lot of those bigger hometown shows, which was awesome. Those were always super fun. One actually is today in Like Wolves Polar Bear Club history, which is kind of crazy. It was at Dublin Underground, and I was telling Chris about this earlier and talking about Like Wolves guys. It was uh, Polar Bear Club Chasing Hamburg release show for Rochester, and Like Wolves put it, this band Mayflower from, uh, they were either Oswego or Syracuse, I, I don't remember. I think Oswego. And uh, Title Fight played it at Dublin Underground, and, like, I remember no one watching Title Fight, which would not be the case now, nor would they play a room that size ever again. And uh, just for 2009, it's just kind of funny. It was, like, right before they really took off. But, so, uh, and we did a lot with Soul Control, which really was touring very heavily with those guys and living in Providence at the time. And they did a lot for Like Wolves. We did a lot of, um, we did a couple of East Coast tours. And we toured out once to uh, Rainfest in Tacoma with Soul Control, which was awesome. They just, I remember just doing a lot and being around those guys a lot during that time. All right, yeah, and they were pretty active then too, right? And that's, that's like right when he joined the band. So this is, so now it sounds like you just said, it, I guess it sounds like we're on like 2009 at this point. Yeah. Rainfest was 2010, and that was kind of the the last long tour that Like Wolves did. We had others planned that kind of fell through. Um, yeah, everything from 2008 to 2009 kind of fell in that that era. Did you guys, when you went on that tour, did you guys have like records with you and stuff? Cause, what, what the Hex stuff or whatever? No, the Hex record came out in 2011. That was one of the last things we did. The curse, the curse of Hex was putting out our, you know, our LP and then not doing too much after that, unfortunately. Because I we put a lot into that record. We, uh, I remember, we just we were practicing like three days a week for months, just hammering down those songs, and we recorded those with Jocko in Syracuse at More Sound. Which, you know, super, super important record label for Western, or uh, record studio for Western New York. A lot of records have been done there. Um, but yeah, we didn't, uh, we had the demo. I don't remember the availability of some of this stuff because I remember being super short on demos. We had a, uh, a split with Oak and Bone, which was a Syracuse band that ended up doing stuff on hex that might have come out on hex actually and uh those songs were super fun we had another ep called paths that we had recorded with the same guy that did our demo in uh in buffalo so we had we had some stuff some there was music going out there even before streaming i don't even think we had you know much of an online presence i don't know if we had a myspace i feel like myspace was still was that so relevant, like, 2008, 2009? I feel like it came Pure back volume or something, I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. trying to do, like, music on that didn't really pan out very much. Sure. So, but I don't I don't think there was much for, like, like Bandcamp or anything like that for, you know, many years after, obviously. No, so it no I don't think we did that. I don't even, most of our stuff isn't even on Spotify. I think it's on Bandcamp right now. We should probably do that. I'll head up the guys tomorrow. Uh, you guys never did like a reunion or anything, did you? Like Wolves? Yeah, we played a couple times. One, the first time we did it, and I remember people. The people were kind of weird about it because we definitely did like a final show in December of 
2012. And it was great. It was an awesome, like, people came out and showed their love at Bug Jar. It was, it's just always awesome to play to, like, just a packed out Bug Jar. It's a great feeling. But um, we played a couple years later with Soul Control, came through Rochester. They were super inactive at the time. And uh, we did a matinee at the Bug Jar with them. And then a couple years later, we just had a lodge show in 2018, which was uh, super fun. I, I can't remember who played that, but some of the, you know, younger Rochester bands played at a lodge at Ellison Park, which is, you know, I think that was the first time I had ever done that. And it took however many years to to get there. If that gives you any, like, view into how much time I missed being a guy in bands in Rochester. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Ben probably mentioned these reunions when I interviewed him uh, some episodes back, but that you, you so wait, I'm confused. You never played any Lodge shows in Rochester until that show, you're saying? I'm pretty sure I didn't. Nothing at, like, Allison, you know, the, like, quintessential Lodge spaces. This was that one, uh, someone better than me might know the name of it, but it's, like, tucked off into the corner in the cattails over at the edge of the park that I've seen I've seen a ton of shows there, a ton of punk shows. I think I'd gone and seen that White Are the Mark Buffalo band there, if you remember those guys at all. Speaker Fire or Speaker Wire might have been their name before White Are the Mark. Or vice versa. But they were kinda like a big hyped Buffalo band. I remember seeing them there. And yeah, I remember going to shows at Lodges. I just never played them. I think that's Hazelwood you're talking about. And what's weird is, obviously, as, as I'm sure we'll come to t- uh, pass with you in the next couple of years, too, we, we get invited to, like, a lot of kid birthday parties now. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the ones coming up, I saw the, the invitation on the fridge the other day, and I was like, oh, shit, that's one of the lodges. I can't remember which lodge it is, but it's one of the Ellison Park lodges where we had many, many shows. And I was like, it's, man, it's pretty it, funny. It's funny you say that because there's, there's one at Powder Mill up on the hill. I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about, but one of the chillin' and grillin's or something was up there, and it's super long, and there's two entrances to it. And before I knew Ben and Adam and John and all those guys, I saw the last Destruct show at one of those um, all-day punk fests. And literally, it was like a concrete floor. Like, they sprayed Sully String or fake poop or whatever Destructs did at the time. Ben rolling around with minimal clothes on and and uh i walked into this first birthday party like a month ago and it's like tiled with this beautiful like woodwork on the walls and it it's like two thousand dollars to rent for the day and i'm like looking around and it's immaculate and then i just had this like flashback of destructs just being disgusting punk dudes just destroying the place during this during the show, which was awesome. And I'm trying to tell people the story, and they're like, huh, what, punk music? And, all right, never mind. So, and, and what's weird is uh, uh, the one band of yours that I've actually done a couple of shows for is the next one we're going to talk about. I mean, I guess I did a couple for Like Wolves, too. But um, you mentioned playing in the Curl and Drag. I was like, I totally, I honestly kind of forgot a lot of people had played in that band because I only, it was like, a weird era where I was booking a couple shows, but kind of hard to explain type thing. You know what I mean? But um, I remember I, once you said it, I was like, I remember that band now. Like, cause it was like you, Josh Dillon, um, was it Mike from the breaking project too? Right. Yeah. Mike from breaking project, how we are. And uh, our buddy, Chris Bonowitz, who was one of the grease guys. Um, he had been in a band called Volsian arms and another band called uh, Woofy Bear way back in the day. Um, but him and Mike had written like all like six to eight songs just themselves, and they were the two guitar players for the whole time, whole time we were a band more actively. And uh, they had reached out to me, and it was my last semester at Brockport, and it was kind of when Like Wolves was doing a lot more shit. This is right before the summer we did the long tour out to Washington and we were just more active and uh, 
they reached out and said they had, they had all these songs done and they just needed a drummer. So they sent me, you know, the songs over email. And I think they were going by the name The Beagles at the time. And uh, we ended up getting together. And the best thing about the crawl and drag is that we, we utilized, like, daytime practices. Because Like Wolves had the space on the... We were either on State Street or the high, like, the stair practice space at St. Paul. But we would just go in there and jam at, like, 10 in the morning during, like, Christmas break and stuff like that when everyone was available. And it was super wild and weird. But you would just roll in there super early and get your stuff done and then go get lunch or breakfast or whatever. And it was awesome. But, uh... We were thinking of who we would get to join, and I had lived with Josh Stone in Brockport the year before, and I thought he was kind of retired from music. Achilles was super inactive at the time, and he was doing his own thing. He was in college still, and uh, I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, would you be interested in playing bass with me, Mike, and Chris? And he was, like, surprisingly, like, super into it. It's like, this is awesome. I've, I've been hanging out with these Achilles guys for years, but I had never been in a band with him. And uh, I kind of forget how we got Nick Nick into the mix because I'm good friends with Nick now and I have been for a few years, but we were only kind of like around each other with the same group of friends at the time, but not super close. So I forget how he kind of, how he got into the mix, but um, he was never a band guy, just kind of, kind of the hangout, chill with guy. I guess. Um, and uh, unf- it's funny because our first show, him and his now wife literally moved to Burlington like the day after that show, which it was an awesome show too. I think I played double duty with Like Wolves that day. That might have been an Achilles show. And uh, I want to say Forfeit or another Breath played, and it was another like just awesome Bug Jar show. A lot of friendly faces, like everyone going nuts. But uh, that was kind of a, like, that's how Crone Drag began and became the not super active band that it ended up being. But in Nick's defense, he would drive from Burlington and Boston after they moved around a little bit. And he would drive six, seven hours, practice screaming in his car the whole time, and then show up for the gig and fucking kill it. So it was... It was always a fun time when we would get together and play. I feel like it was one, maybe even two shows that I had you guys on in 2012. So he would have been driving all the way here for those? Yeah, he he did that often. You know, we sometimes we would do like day of, day of practice or he wouldn't even, you know, he would just show up to the show and just be like, I got this. I got it. And uh, Did you guys? I'm oh, sorry. No, 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 you're good. No, I was going to say, did you guys ever try to set up anything in, like, Albany or somewhere, like, halfway halfway to where he was or anything and meet him halfway? We should, we should have. Um, we did do Syracuse one time. I think that's the furthest we ever played out. We played a Polar Bear Club Syracuse show at Lost Horizon, which was awesome. And, um, yeah, I think that was the closest we ever got to Nick, so we didn't have to drive all the way here. But just never, it just never happened. In hindsight, it's always easy to look back and be like, why the fuck didn't we do this? Why didn't we, uh, you know, play out of town? But I think I think we were all kind of busy at that time anyway. Did you take a little bit, uh, another little gap there in between the, the, the bands with the current band then? Or? Um, not so much. I, Mike moved to England in 2015. Him and his wife had gotten together and they were, you know, he was fighting to get over there for a while, and then it finally cleared in 2015. They were just dating at the time. But with the space between, you know, members, and uh, Josh Dillon had moved to Portland in 2014, and John Cannon, I don't, do you know John at all? Name sounds familiar. I feel like I've met him a couple of times. Yeah, he's like super into it. He's big into the uh, coffee scene in Rochester. He's been part of a lot of the, you know, bigger companies that have been around. But he he hopped in and 
you might not know this about John, but he's this crazy talented instrumentalist and can pick up on anything super quickly. And I remember him coming to the first crawl and drag practice that we played with him. And uh, he like knew the backup vocal parts and nailed the bass parts. And it was like the first practice, which was super awesome. But that just, that just goes to like show you what kind of guy John is. Just I have high regard for John Cannon. So, but we've only played a handful of shows with John too. And we haven't played since 2017 for Carl and Drag. But um, I joined Coming Down in 2015 as the second drummer. So after uh, Brandon left, he uh, he was doing Obsessor with John Garwood, who plays guitar in Coming Down. And Brandon, you know, rest in peace, um, he was the super talented, super talented drummer and played guitar and obsessor and was just wild, wild guy and just a sweetheart of a dude too. And I remember being so nervous because we, we shared a practice space with obsessor and it was the basement of that building next to like the living roots winery and, uh, revelry that kind of area and it's in the bottom of this warehouse i think it's a parking garage now just to give you an idea of what this space looked like but just this massive football field size concrete basement floor with like instruments hiding in the shadows of like you never actually saw anyone there but there was probably eight bands worth of gear down there and uh I remember coming down, started, when I started with them, Obsessor would finish the early practice and we would come in and I would just be so nervous because I knew Brandon could hear me just like not doing the drum parts right because that guy drummed in like Career Suicide and he was on the first Municipal Waste record, I'm pretty sure, and it's just in this long list of bands that escape me at the moment, but, you know, just well well recorded and well noted like punk drummer punk punk dude so um you know he had shit going on and uh i think it just had him leave the band but i've been in coming down ever since and it's been it's been great i love those guys those are some of my best friends in life so it's awesome and uh I don't know if you know the lineup. I'm going to pull it up in a second here. You guys, that's a crazy show that got announced today. I, I, I haven't seen a local show with that many bands in a while. Well, not including Punk's Picnic, I guess. But yeah. Deal With God, Spaced, Who Decides, Street Hassle, Final Declaration, Coming Down, All For All, Science Man, Coalition. Uh, I guess I missed the date. November 12th, I think, at the yeah. Bug Jar. Right? Yeah, that's... That's going to be a wild show. John sent yeah. that flyer over earlier, and it's, I know this has been in the works for a while. John and I actually, we, we just, after that Danger show, we've just had life, life's been going on, so we haven't had much time to play. But uh, John and I got together last night and started uh, working through some of the new songs that we've been writing and, and getting ready to record, hopefully soon. Um, but... That show is going to be awesome. It's it's a great mix of Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester, some younger bands, some older you know friends that we haven't seen in a while. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, I had heard that they were working on something big, but I didn't realize it was like you know every every. Now I guess I won't. I don't want to say every good band because I'm going to be leaving some bands out. But a lot of a lot of good bands from this area on one show. It's that's pretty cool. For sure. So. Yeah, it's always nice to, to share the stage with, like, uh, I know Deal With God is some of those younger kids, and Dylan, I think, is one of those just super motivated guys that's keep keeping the scene alive. And John and I mentioned that last night, that Rochester has been... I know there's a scene to be had, and I know there's a scene happening, but uh, from the yesteryear, the part where you were super in part in uh you had a big part of it and uh the part that i kind of missed and came up late to but it's 
it's keeping going. Things are going, so things are happening, which is great. But need some more young bands. I, I always say that I'm not, I, you know, at, at the age of 41, I'm not one to recruit teenagers into anything at this point. But um, <laughs> the hardcore scene definitely needs like a youth movement at some point. So. No, and Rory's doing. You know, that summer show was was great because Rory was definitely into it being at an all ages venue, and um, when you get older, it's kind of hard to tell people about you playing at a you know art space or something like that it's it's one of those weird things to say but i thought that show was really great i thought it was awesome and rory continues to be that voice for a lot of people that don't know what's happening and and the young band that that opened that show or played second actually you know came up through girls rock and just absolutely killed it and they were awesome and that that was so cool to see because i remember being young and playing bigger shows with touring bands and just having an awesome time and being super motivated after that. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And they're a good uh, young up-and-coming band for sure. And I, I also want to correct myself from a few episodes back because you mentioned Girls Rock makes me think. Uh, Shout-out to Travis Rankin. I want to get him on here eventually. He's got the Rochester Music Lab now. And initially i guess i thought it was just like a music school for kids but i guess it's just somewhere for like people of all ages to learn how to, how to do music sure. so uh, i'll get him on here to tell more about it eventually because that's a pretty cool uh thing that he's doing now so yeah i guess kind of wrapping things up a little bit i know we talked about achilles throughout the conversation and stuff like that but is there anything else like pertinent to to the conversation that you want in an interview that we didn't uh discuss that you might want to expound on further i guess yeah sure i mean like just for me, it was all about finding those businesses that kind of supported the scene and invested in its people. And I think there's a lot of businesses out there now that are doing that, like record shops and coffee shops and bars and restaurants and and, and whatever, whatever you like find interest in. And, uh, you know, find those places that make you feel uncomfortable because I definitely did stick your neck out a little bit. Uh, honestly, I, I dragged my buddy PJ in 11th grade to bring me to Hell on Earth, which was that shop under Love Hate on Alexander. And I'm, I made him, you know, bring me there because he had been there a couple times. And that's where I got like the two things that were super big in the me kind of transitioning into the hardcore scene, which was the Breaking Project, Breaking Project Avram Last Show DVD and uh, the Hellfest 2003 DVD, which when I need to get pumped up, sometimes I still fucking throw those sets on and it's so good. So, uh, I don't know. I watched the shit out of both of those things. And those were like right around the time when I just made a big turn and pivot into the scene. So, yeah, you know, it's weird. I don't think hell on earth really come up on the podcast very much, but they were definitely, uh, important to our city. And, uh, Greg's definitely somebody I want to get on here. Eventually I talked to him about it a while ago and, you know, schedules and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, the Walsh, the Walsh brothers were huge for Rochester between Hell on Earth and shows that they booked and Greg being a moment of truth. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Definitely. I mean, yeah, like I, I had the shirt and the, the screen printed belt and stuff that went went perfect with what I was trying to do at the time. But just being able to grab like local CDs and DVDs and records and zines and whatnot, they were they were pretty cool. And I'm not a tattoo guy, so it was, I was able to support support those guys and have it be a little bit a little bit uh off the tattoo thing i guess i'm not the only tattoo free non-youth at this point so <laughs> yeah i never got into that either i guess we're, we're like the outcasts now it's like the other way around from 20 years ago right now. for it's sure crazy. still think about it i just you know never never made the leap yeah it's weird because there was things i wanted to get in like 98 or 99 and I, we were even at the shop but um i guess i've never told this story i mean the girl that i dated in high school that's how we started dating. We said we wanted to go get tattoos, and there was a shop that would give people allegedly underage, they would give them tattoos. Obviously, probably not the best shop in town. And I was going to get a straight edge tattoo, which I'm definitely not straight edge now and haven't been in a very long time. But I was going to get yeah. that. But for some reason, I told her to go first. And uh, she went first, and the dude was like, no, you don't have any idea. We can't let you get the tattoo. And even after I stopped being straight edge, I was going to get the DRI logo at some point because that's like something that's like just shows that you're into like hardcore and punk. I feel like even if people don't know who the band is, you know, but sure. it's just the whole thing. I don't know. It never lose for me. But yeah, anything else that we missed uh, or any other uh, anecdotes or stories or anything like that before we get into shout outs? No, 
No, I think that's good. All right, yeah. Well, uh, before I give my shout-outs and, and plugs and whatnot, if there's any, anybody you want to give shout-outs to or any uh, upcoming projects to plug, I know we plugged that show coming up in November, but anything else that you'd want to plug? Yeah, no, Coming Down's riding right now. So, you know, I, we're talking about getting in the studio in the fall, hopefully with uh, Chris Vandeviber again, which he did our last EP, and it came out awesome, and he's been super pumped on recording us again. So I'm looking forward to getting some of these pandemic jams out and finally recorded. And, uh, you know, thank you to my family, my, my wife, Jamie, and hopefully my son hears us someday and, you know, Leo gets in the music and, uh, we can kind of bond over that stuff. So, and, uh, you know, my, the rest of my family that continues to support and, uh, all the guys I play music with just love everybody. So. Well, uh, as we're wrapping up, I guess, hopefully I didn't swear too much in this episode. If your son listened to it, I did too. I did too. It's okay. So, um, all right. Well, yeah, I think that's going to wrap up the episode. Uh, I want to give an extra special thanks to Max for doing the interview. As always, uh, shout out to Rob Antonucci, Jim Byrne, and Greg Benoit for all the help with the podcast. Thanks to my family for the never-ending support, as well as putting up with all this nonsense. Uh, see everybody real soon, and stay safe. Thanks, Josh.